in school when you would fill out what your parents did for a living, I would write trimmings not knowing what the heck it was. When they opened up the window in the sweatshop, I used to go play on the roof. It's not a great place where you get to play. I said, God, let the morning come quick so I can go to my sewing machine. I think I'm nuts. Hello and welcome to Sewing Community, the podcast where local Westchester area residents share their life in fabric and thread. I'm your host, Aaron Page, Director of Folk Arts at Arts Westchester, the officially designated Arts Council for Westchester County, New York. For the last several months, Arts Westchester has been teaming up with Amanda Browder, a Brooklyn-based fabric artist, to transform our nine-story building of White Plains into a cascading, colorful fabric installation. All of the stories heard in this podcast were collected from individual volunteers who've been involved in the building of this monumental work of public art. While the project is currently on hold because of COVID-19, our hope is that the stories shared here will in some small way sustain and deepen the social fabric of our sewing community. This week's episode features Westchester residents Fatiha Makloufi, an Algerian-American fashion designer and small business owner, and Regina Farrell-Fagan, a ceramicist, fabric artist, and embroiderer from Dublin, Ireland. Enjoy! My name is Fatiha Makloufi, and I'm from originally from Algeria. I came here in 1979. That's a quite a long time. And I, uh, I live in White Plains. And I uh, stumbled into fabric and uh, the joy of fabric by when I started small business. It was in the 1980s. I was a part-time uh, teacher uh, at the college, a professor of uh, ESL, English as Second Language. And I was raising a, a young uh, son. And uh, I wanted something that I could do to make some money. And I stumbled into a community of artists There was an African-American community and Caribbean community, Latino community that used to be very engaged in uh, validating art that came from the Caribbean, Puerto Rico, Africa, the Middle East and all that. Small startups, people who really felt empowered to small businesses. So I I felt really energized by that idea. And I, uh, so I started getting fabric from Africa and I uh, started thinking of creating uh, clothes out of that. So I worked with a group of people who were in Brooklyn, who were really tailors from Africa, who who had just come and who were looking to work. And I started, uh, so we started a workshop. So I would design the clothes and then they would create the the clothes I wanted. And then I started selling these clothes at, uh, they were outside fairs and I had a little stand uh, in Queens, uh, one of the malls. And I started being part of the, the Harlem fairs uh, with fabric and clothes and I was also part of the Big Caribbean uh, Festival in Brooklyn and I was selling stuff there and, and it just I started connecting, it was very synergetic. My, my designs were very uh, classy but also symbolic. You know, they had the, the boo-boo, you know, the boo-boo, the African boo-boo. I had also the Algerian pants, you know, the open long pants with the wide... Uh, Legs. My, my clothes also integrated clothes and also I beading. So I would have T-shirts that would be tied, dyed, and then I would then create fringes with beads. So I had created all these ideas of beading. The Algerian family, the typical Algerian family, when I was growing up, uh, people were very resourceful. They would create things out of nothing. So, for example, my mother always a quilter. So she would. Uh, 
you know, at the end of each season, any clothes that we didn't wear, she would repurpose our clothes into a quilt for the for the winter. Uh, she canned, she 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 grew her own food. So I learned a lot from my mother and the women around my mother. My mother was not really a seamstress, but the whole family were seamstress. My mother's side, they were really seamstresses. They they made a living out of that. They all, whenever you visited them, there were people in and out trying clothes. They were preparing for the next wedding, for the next festival. They were constantly sewing. So every uh, woman who was, uh, every bride had to have a trousseau. So that was a big source of income for my aunts, I guess. They would prepare these clothes and every woman had to have this set of clothes that were traditional and fancy. So there was a lot of, you know, laces and beadings, a lot of hand-woven stuff, layering of clothes and different textures. So there was a lot of that. This ants also played with the, you know, they looked at what was the fashion and they stayed up to date on what was also up to date. Of making a living out of your hands, out of your own skills, that was very powerful for me. Uh, women in Algeria at that point really didn't work. Uh, but my mother's family, they, these women all worked, and they made a living out of this clothes. So that was fascinating for me to see these independent women. They bought their cars, and they bought, you know, they had their own homes, and they took care of their family and everything. They had this skill. You can take care of yourself if you have a skill. So if you have a skill, start small and build on it. And that's the community that I had stumbled into. I met these tailors who were making a living. They built on it, and these women who were seamstresses, they took care of a whole family and the clothes. It was just fascinating for me. My name is Regina Farrell-Fagan, and I'm from Dublin, Ireland, and I'm the exhibitions manager at Clay Art Centre. My connection to fabric comes from my grandmother on my father's side. She used to collect all the clothing in the house that nobody was wearing anymore. She never threw anything out. She would cut it into long strips and then she would sew these strips into rugs. They were called rag rugs. Then she would use them in the house and there was no like uh, rhyme or reason to the pattern. She would just randomly throw blocks of colour together and sometimes she would surround the colour with a ring of another colour and then there was different patterns. And uh, I think about them a lot um, because it took me a long time to realize that they were her downtime. Like she wasn't just being frugal, she was like actually relaxing. <laughs> I sew, um, she also sewed, she used to like mend all her socks and stuff, which again I thought was like really like a boring old person's thing to do, but that's what she did. She, she, that's how they grew up, like mending all their clothes. So everything got stitched, everything got fixed. And so now I sew, I, I, I do a bead embroidery Besides being a ceramicist, I, I, when I do the bead embroidery, it is maybe the most relaxing thing. And people say to me, my God, how do you have the patience for it? And now that I'm a parent and my time is so limited, I really can connect with my grandmother, why she was so into making the, the, the rag rugs. I totally understand it. When I came here first, I, I found it a little hard to connect with. I worked with a non-profit organization and I, I taught art programs uh, in an Irish community and there was a lot of Irish Americans in the community and sometimes they would talk about uh, traditional things that, that I did not grow up with because Ireland had evolved long past 
when their people left Ireland and came here. So I started researching it and um, one of the things that um, I found out was that a lot of the women who came to, came to America probably in the late 1700s and 1800s brought lace-making traditions with them. And we had um, a cottage industry, a lace-making cottage industry in Ireland that was really big at one point. People made very fine laces and there were uh, traditional patterns. So they brought those uh, skills to New York with them and it was uh, a form of employment here where lace was still very popular on clothing and uh, accessories and things like that. Um, sometimes in the whole household know how to make lace and pass down different stitches. And then uh, I think the Italian community also did the same thing. And at one point, I think the Italian community sort of surpassed the Irish population who were making lace. And, and then of course it died out completely. Mm -hmm. I know of a place in, in more Northern Ireland that is actually a museum of lace making. Mm -hmm. And they have a lot of specimens there um, and they preserve the, the tradition. I have met people here whose parents would have done it. Like people now, I suppose, in their 80s. I would meet, know a lot of people who do um, crochet, which a lot of the lace was like very uh, crochet based as well. Very fine Irish lace that's done with crochet. When my son was born five years ago, I got a lot of handmade items from that community because I used to work with them very closely. And a lot of people gave me beautiful handmade things that you know, were just so precious. Join us for next week's episode featuring Westchester County's go-to sewing machine repairman, Mitch Wasserberg, as he discusses his family connections to the New York trimmings, fabric, and sewing machine business. 